everyone shout amen. Let's give the Lord Jesus a great big hand. Shake your neighbor's hand, give them a great big God bless you, and you may be seated. <clears throat> there are many among us, and even outside of us, who laugh at the idea <clears throat> of spiritual warfare. However, there is no amount of indifference to the unseen world that changes the fact that it is the backdrop to everything we do. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that the lost are lost because they are blinded by the God of this world. By saying this, the Apostle Paul is making a direct correlation between the status of someone's salvation and the reality of Satan. Satan opposes the lost. He does not just oppose the lost. Satan withstands and resists the people of God. And none of this is new. He has been doing so since the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, it is Satan who deceives Eve and Adam. In 1 Chronicles 21 and 1, it is Satan who stood up against the people of Israel and provoked David to number them, a tragedy that resulted in the death of thousands. In Job 2 and 7, it is Satan who goes forth from the presence of the Lord and smites Job not once, not twice, not three times, but several times, each progressively worse than the last. In Zechariah 3 and 11, it is Satan who stands at the right hand of the priests to resist him in his service to God and God's people. It is in Matthew chapter 4 that Satan tempts Jesus. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 16, Jesus heals a woman who had been debilitated by a disease for 18 years. And Jesus' final diagnosis of her is that she had been bound by Satan for nearly two decades. John 13 and 27 says that it is Satan that enters into Judas. The same Apostle John will go on to write in the book of Revelation about the seat of Satan, the synagogue of Satan, and the depths of Satan. Each of these represents a unique effect and influence over humankind, and in some cases, specific people groups. In his final epistle, John concludes in 3 and 8, that the purpose of the incarnation was to destroy the works of Satan. I want you to know that yes, Jesus Christ had you and me on his mind when he went to Calvary, but equally and just as important, his motive, his drive, his engine to get to Calvary and to complete the work of Calvary was to destroy, to destroy the works of Satan. He wanted to get there to destroy drug addiction 
to destroy oppression, to destroy possession, to destroy abuse, to destroy immorality, to de- come on somebody, to destroy all the manifestations of sin. Come on somebody, I'm telling you right now, we talk a lot about the love of God, but can we talk about the purpose of Jesus Christ? He went to Calvary to destroy the works of Satan. He saw you here right now, and he said, you know what? I need to make sure that I have a free people. I need to make sure that I have a liberated people. I need to make sure that I have people that are not bound by the power of Satan. Oh, come on. Let's magnify the Lord right now. dismissive about the reality of spiritual resistance is not only dangerous, it is scriptural negligence. The church is in war and there is no scriptural support to the contrary. I have heard people try to explain away what the Bible means when it talks about Satan or devils or demons because somehow it just doesn't mesh with our modern era and intellectualism. But I'll tell you what else does not mesh with our modern era and intellectualism is the pure and creative forms of evil that humans concoct. The smarter we get, it makes no difference. We are still cruel in our dealings with one another. We are still perverse in our dealings with one another. It does not matter if our economy goes up. It does not matter if our status of living goes up. It does not matter if our education goes up. We still concoct, not just cruel, but creatively cruel ways of hurting others and even hurting ourselves. Pure, unadulterated, unmitigated, unfiltered evil. There is a world beyond everything you and I see. It is very real. I, 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 I'm getting way ahead of myself here. But I want you to know, when I came to God, I was a flat-out atheist. I did not believe in God whatsoever. I did not even care for church. I, I, we never owned a Bible in our home. Uh, my, I'm, I won't even get into it all, but um, I remember uh, one of the first times I ever stepped inside of a church... I was uh, uh, heavily, heavily depressed. Uh, I was suicidal. I was hooked on drugs. Uh, I came from a very educated family, uh, but none of that helped. Um, I came from a family that was very spiritual, but their form of spirituality did not help because it did not involve God. Amen. And it put all the center of power and responsibility solely on, on, on my parents were humanists. They just... They believed, if it's to be, it's up to you. And you could speak your own world into existence. And you could do everything on your own. And by the time I was 18 years old, I was suicidal. I was hooked on drugs. Uh, my parents dumped all kinds of money to try to help me. And nothing. And I remember one of my first times stepping in to an apostolic church. And sitting in the back, knowing that I, I had tried everything. And I remember the preacher getting up to preach. And saying, God can deliver you from any form of addiction and oppression. And since it was a small home missions church and there's about ten of us, I knew he was talking to me. Amen. 
because everybody else was in their late 70s. And uh, <laughs> praise God, I kind of just, I just through a process of elimination, I figured the sermon was to me. And uh, welcome to the Apostolic Church, praise God. Uh, <laughs> we will tailor the sermon just for you. Hallelujah. But I remember sitting there in my incredulous, amen, intellectual, drug-addicted, suicidal self, smug way, amen. And all of a sudden, as the preacher was preaching, and I was thinking to myself, this is silly. I don't know that this is going to work. I remember, as clear as I'm standing here right now, I heard an audible voice in my ear tell me, God can do nothing for you. It freaked me out. I stood up out of my seat. I didn't, it was in the middle of the preaching. I did not care. Hallelujah. I got up out of my chair, and I did not know where to go. I just knew I wanted to get away from that chair. Praise God. And I just started heading towards the front. Amen. Addicted to drugs for several years. Suicidal for several years. Had mutilated my face and my body. Working at a tattoo shop, and I went straight, amen, to the altar. Amen. And all of the depression and all of the suicide, amen, left in a matter of seconds when the preacher put his hands on my head and invoked the name of Jesus. Satan's power. I'm, I didn't say the chemical imbalance in my brain. I didn't say depression. I didn't say society's effects on me. The power of Satan was released. Oh, come on. God is talking to us. Let's lift our hands right now and just pray for a few seconds. I feel like the power of Satan is going to be broke here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus. Come on, let's just pray for a little bit. Hallelujah. There's something happening right now. There's people here, you've been fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. You feel like you've been, you're about to lose your mind. There's people here, you've been locked up in something. Amen. I know, I know you go to bed every night, but you haven't been getting any sleep. Amen. There's people here, you've been attacked, afflicted. I'm, in, I'm, I'm here to tell you, amen, tonight. Amen. That battle's about to be over. Hallelujah. We're going to destroy and shatter strongholds in the name of... In the name of Jesus. You've got to understand, this is not part of my sermon. Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord comes into the garden and he begins to judge. There are consequences to sin. But I'd rather have God judge me than man. I said I'd rather have God judge me than man. 
Man's judgments cannot rehabilitate. Man's judgments cannot apply mercy and justice. Man's judgments are flawed, but God can do it all. And but the Lord, the Lord steps in. He, he, he talks to Eve, and he talks to the serpent, and he talks to Adam. But one thing he begins to tell the serpent, he says, I will put enmity, I will put conflict between you and between the woman. And then he, sees, and then he says, and between her seed, amen, and your seed, amen, hallelujah. And that conflict, amen, involves you and I. That is what it is talking about. It is talking about Jesus and his followers and Satan and his dominion, amen, and his demons and his imps, amen. In fact, we know this because... Amen. Later on in Revelations chapter 12, I believe it is. Amen. The Bible talks about the woman who is being chased by the devil. Amen. And she gives birth to a child. And this child and its followers defeat the dragon. Amen. Hallelujah. That is the descendant of the serpent. Amen. In Genesis chapter 3. And Jesus and his followers are given victory. Amen. Over the dragon. I'm, I'm telling you right now, we are in war. Amen. We are in conflict. Amen. We are not in a time of peace. Peace. Amen. We are not in a time of tranquility spiritually. Things, come on, somebody. I'm telling you right now, I don't want to be passive about something that's dead serious. It is very real. But let me say this adjacent to the idea that the church is in war is the idea that we are the church triumphant. We win. We are the church triumphant. Yes, we are in a battle, but we win. One man said, an entire sea of water cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside the ship. None of Satan's shenanigans can defeat you unless you let them get into your spirit. None of it. None of it. Not one of his lies. Not one of his distractions. Not one of his attacks. None of it can defeat you if you don't let it get into your spirit. And there's a lot of different ways that Satan's attacks get in our spirit. Sometimes it's through self-loathing. We get attacked and we just tell ourselves, we deserve it. I deserve this. I've been such a... I was preaching a revival one time at a particular church, not far from here. And I remember sitting in a room alone with the pastor who used to have a very, 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 very bad past. And he was now going through a lot of horrible things. Uh, he was matured in age, he was much older than I was, and I remember uh, he was showing me where I was staying for the night, and uh, I was standing in the little kitchenette area, and he sat on the bed, and he slumped his shoulders over, and he looked at me, he said, Brother Prado, he said, I'm paying for everything I've ever done, and I looked back at him, and I said, Brother, with all due respect, the devil is a liar. 
I'm sorry, people. I just believe that the waters of baptism are that powerful. You're not going to pay for your past like that. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care what anybody says. When you get baptized, either the power of the name of Jesus and the power of baptism is all that or it's not all that. But you can't. I'm telling you, I started, Brother Chris, I, I started quoting every verse I know in the Bible because I know what it is to wrestle with condemnation. I know what it is for the devil to tell you you deserve everything that's happening to you. I know what it is. I'm telling you, I started quoting so many scriptures that that pastor would make a Bible quizzer nervous. I started quoting every scripture I could think of in the Bible, and I told him, Brother, that voice that's talking to you, that is not of God. What is going on in your life, that is not of God. You need to rebuke those voices. You need to rebuke those lies. That is not the Lord deal. You might be going through the trial of your life, but it's not because God is demanding payment on something you did way back in 1967. You may be going through all kinds of trials in your life, but it's not because the Lord is making you pay up for something that happened in your past. I'm telling you, when you went down in the water, you have no past. You have. Visitor, you might get a little weary and tired of us always talking about baptism. Those of you that are involved in Bible studies with us, you may not get it why we're always talking about baptism. It's not because we want you to be a member of Cornerstone Church. It's not because we think it's a cool little religious practice. It's not because we want to take a picture and put it on our website. It's not because we want... It's not because we want you, amen, to just feel better about yourself. It is because it washes away your past. It washes away your past. It changes your present. It determines the outcome of your future. It determines. Come on. You're looking at somebody that went down to water. And came out free from the chains of suicide and drug addiction. You're looking at some, you may not even know it, but two bros over. There's somebody, amen, that was on the brink of divorce, brink of suicide, drug addict, alcoholic. You're looking at somebody who may have never had a problem and thought they had it all together. But when they went down in the water, all the chains of Satan, all the Come on, come on, come on, come on. The struggle is real. The struggle's real. But so is the victory. <laughs> oh, it's real. Oh yeah. Devil talked to you about 1987. Devil talked to you about that those last two guys you were with. Devil talked to you about that last woman. Devil talked to you about what you did. The devil talked to you about that one time. Devil, devil will hang that time. Amen. You crashed your parents' car over your head your whole life. I'm telling you, he'll never. He, the struggle is real. I don't want to minimize it. I don't want. I'm telling you right now, you will sit in a pew and have the devil tell you, you don't belong here. These people don't love you. You're a stranger. You need to get on up out of here. Amen. That guy up there preaching, he ain't talking to you. I'm talking to you. Hallelujah. God sent me with a message just for you. I'm telling you right now, that is the voice of Satan. Amen. You've got to. You know why he's talking like that? Because the struggle's real, but so is the victory. You know why he's telling you all that garbage? Because he knows that if you ever get out from under it.
He'll remind you of everybody you ever robbed. He'll remind you of every dollar you ever stole. He'll remind you of your last marriage, but you need to let him know the victory is real. The victory is mine. And thanks be to God that giveth me the victory through Jesus Christ. Come on, give Jesus a great big hand clap of praise right now. Second Corinthians 10.4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I want to encourage Cornerstone today, and I know that this is probably rather not the sermon anybody or a lot of people might have came looking to hear today, but I make no apologies. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but I want to encourage you to fight. That's about 10 of you. And that's exactly what I expected. Let me tell you something. There is not an opt-out category in the church. Let me tell you something. God did not save you to sideline you. There is no second, third, fourth, and fifth string in the church. Everyone's in now. Everyone's in. I said, and those of you trying to protect your cute, fluffy little kids, let me tell you something, no movement that has ever affected the world for good or evil ever excluded their children. At some point, everybody's got to get in. At some point, you, you, not the Sunday school teacher, you have to teach your children how to pray. You have to teach your children how to shout. You have to teach your children how to dance around Jericho. You have... Sunday school is supplemental biblical education. Sunday school is not where our children should be getting the bulk of their biblical literacy. They should be getting that from you at home, in the living room, in their bedroom, in the kitchen, in the house. Come on. The Sunday school teacher is just adding to what I am already doing. Hallelujah. The Sunday school. Come on, I don't feel like I'm getting backed up on this. I'm telling you. The youth group is supplemental. Hallelujah. The bulk of your young person's experience and walk with God should begin in the home. tell you something. The best teacher will tell you if this is not practiced at home, almost everything I do here will get undone. It's, it's got to be in the house. And everyone's got to be on board. We've got to teach our children how to fight. Because the fight is on right away. 
The fight is on in second grade. The fight is on in third grade. The fight is on in fifth grade. The fight is on in sixth grade. The fight is on in high school. Some of you were pregnant by high school. Don't sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. The fight is on in junior high. The fight is on in college. Don't just... I'm not sending my kids to school not knowing how to go to war. I'm sending my kids to school to know how to go to war. I'm sending my kids to go to school to Britain. Come on, somebody. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not looking to the Sunday school department to make my kid be on fire for Jesus. I'm looking at the parental department to get my child on fire for Jesus. That is... Come on, somebody. I want Sunday school to be like candy. Amen. But at home, it's meat, potatoes, broccoli. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm providing. Don't hide your children from the battle. God didn't save you to sideline you. And the biggest, the biggest struggle in this sanctuary and in the one I pastor back home are people who simply do not want to fight. If you do not want to fight, there is no amount of counseling. There is no amount of pastoral advice. There is no amount of money. There is no amount of resources that will help you get the victory. At some point, you will have to fight for what you get, and you will have to fight to keep what you got. Because if you think... Let me tell you something. All of you, all of you have reached the point of no return. You either run or get run over. I know that's not fluffy and nice, and I know that that doesn't make you probably feel sparkly on the inside, but you either run or you get run over. You either. Brother Chris, I'm telling you right now, there just reached a point in my life where I realized I'm going to have to get up, and I'm going to have to fight, or I'm going to lose. And I will not be able to blame God, and I will not be able to blame my pastor. And I will not be able to blame my marriage. And I will not be able to blame society. And I will not be able to blame any external forces. I will have to take complete ownership for the failure and the loss and the taking of my lunch. Hallelujah. At some point, you got to just make it up in your mind. I cannot go backwards. That is not an option. And I cannot just stand here. That is not an option. I am going to the enemy's camp. I am going to the enemy's camp. And nothing he says is going to get in my spirit. And nothing he does is going to distract me. And nothing. Come on, at some point, you got to stand in the devil's face and say, yes, my mother was a divorcee, but I will not be a divorcee. I'm fighting for this marriage. At some point, you got to stand in the devil's face and say, yes, I come from fourth generation alcoholics. I will not be a fourth generation alcoholic. At some point, you got to stand in the enemy's face and say, you know what? My, I was raised without my dad, but my son will not be raised without his dad. My daughter will not be raised without her father. At some point, you got to just stand in the gap and say, I don't even know who my mother is. 
but my daughter will know who her mother is. At some point, you got to just stand in the enemy's face and say, my dad died in prison. I'm not dying in prison. At some point, you got to just stand in the enemy's face and say, you know what? My parents forsook it all for the riches of this world. I will not make the same mistake. My f- I need some men right now that are going to stand in the enemy's face and say, you know what? My whole life. My mother was the spiritual backbone of my house. It will not be like that in my house. I will lead my family in prayer. I will lead my family in fasting. I will lead my family in devotion. Come on. Come on. Come on. you to do in no particular order. I want you to recognize that in spiritual warfare, it requires you to win the battles that were lost in the past. You can't keep losing. can't keep catching L's. You got to get the win. You have to. You know, the, the, the church we started a few years ago, um, uh, there, was, there was a church in the city where we used, where I'm at now, that was dismantled. And uh, it was a very horrible thing. But uh, it all happened right around when the church hit 60. And one of the things that happened at 60 was uh, the church got scammed. There was a, 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 in fact, he's a very well-known scam artist. Scammed the church for I don't know how much money. Uh, He was this man that would come around churches and say he had sickness and cancer and... uh, get all the people to give him money, and then he had all these fake business deals, and he, he scammed this church. It wasn't my church. It was a church that was there almost 20 years before I got there. But I, I do have some of the old members of that church in our congregation, so I am relatively uh, and intimately aware of some of the things that happened. And I knew, I, I intuitively knew, that when we get 60, we're going to have to cross that bridge because it didn't get crossed. Bridges have to get crossed. Roads have to be walked. Strongholds have to be broken. You don't just get a pass. History has a strange way of repeating itself. And so I remember... We're probably three years in, and I, I, keep, I keep attendance. And uh, we hit 64, and I told my wife, I was driving down the street. God is my witness. I was driving down the street, and I told my wife, I said, the scam artists are going to come. The next day, the next day, I got a phone call from a man who said he wanted a tithing receipt from our church 
for I don't know how many thousands. And I said, bro, I know you've never been to my church. Because <laughs> I had never had anybody give that much money. He said, no, it was your church. I said, no, it wasn't. A few days later, a relative of mine who I never see, a relative of mine who my daughters have probably seen twice in their life, ran a scam on somebody for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And somehow these people connected my last name with their last name and called me. I mean, I could go on to all the scams and all the scam-related stuff that happened that week. And I just knew, we got to cross this bridge. It's got to happen. And it doesn't just have to happen in churches. It has to happen in individuals. At some point, you got to look at your marriage and say, you know what? I remember my parents struggling with this. At some point, you got to look at your life and you got to say, you know what? This is not just the Smith family problem. At some point, you got to look at your situation and say, you know what? This is not the first time this has happened. Different places and different faces, but same situation. I'm going to pass this test this time. I'm going to pass. time. I'm almost done. One of the most important things in spiritual warfare is doctrinal clarity. You have got to know what you believe. And you have got to be able to articulate it without shame. I was teaching a young man the Bible study the other day, total atheist. And we were in Genesis chapter 3, and we were talking about the serpent that talked to Adam and Eve. And he stopped me in the middle of my Bible study. And he said, he said, hold on. He said, Pastor, he said, you really believe this snake talked? And I looked at him and I said, Yes. He said, you believe this happened, you believe that this happened once upon a time. I said, I believe this happens all the time. <laughs> Forget once upon a time, it happens all the time. I said, it's probably happened to you. I said, there's probably been times you were all alone and you knew to do what was right. And you heard a little voice tell you, you won't die if you do that. This won't affect nobody. Just go ahead and do it. It'll all be good. Your eyes will be open. You can be your own God. You don't need nobody telling you what, you, what to do. Come on, the world is your oyster. Just jump in. Get into it. I'm telling you, that little atheist kid looked back. He said, you know what? It did happen today. And it does happen all the time. He said, I don't know that it's so much a snake, but I definitely hear... Come on, somebody. I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid to declare the truth of God's word. I'm not afraid to declare. Come on, doctrinal clarity. 
almost done, I promise. You know, we have goals, but there's a big difference between a goal and a plan. We want a strong, thriving, apostolic church. That's a, that's a goal. I want to be on fire for God. That's a goal. We want a strong, vibrant, healthy church, on fire this and great that. Those are goals. What is the plan? folks sit in the pew. No plan. Lots of goals. How do we get the strong, healthy, vibrant, world-affecting, community-changing, family-oriented church? How do we do that? What's the plan? At the risk of offending some people, I will say this. I believe the plan is rather simple. Make disciples. Make disciples. Do you know that from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 11, that's 10 years, Christians had no other name except disciples. They were not Methodist. They were not Baptist. They were not Pentecostal. They were not apostolic. They were not even called Christians. They were called disciples. And in Greek, the word disciple is a noun and a verb. So if you saw a disciple and you were to ask them what they do, they would respond, I disciple. Disciple is what I am. Disciple is what I do. Everybody here, it shouldn't even have to be promoted. Everybody here should be discipling somebody. Everybody... This, I don't know how we have gotten away with making people believe that they could pledge allegiance to all these other Christian things, never disciple anybody, and consider themselves a Christian. How, where do we get it in our mind that we could pledge allegiance to a dress code and pledge allegiance, amen, to a, to a style of worship and pledge allegiance to some verses in the Bible, but never actually behave? like a disciple, and be saved. I'm telling you right now, at some point or another, everybody has got to put boots on the ground and say, I will personally. And if you have never been discipled, and I know people that have been in church 20, 30 years that have never been discipled. If you have never been discipled, go find somebody to disciple you. Go get you through. Go get you. If you, I'm telling you, everybody here, I'm not... This is not controversial. I'm not preaching something strange. Amen. Everybody here should have a Bible reading plan. Everybody here should say, I'm a Christian. I'm, I have a Bible. I'm going to read the whole thing. Hallelujah. And if I can't read good, I'm going to get it on audio and listen to it. Hallelujah. And I'm going to put it in the car and I'm going to put it in reading. And I'm going to put Come on, somebody. And not only am I going to read it, I'm going to transmit it. I'm going to disciple people we have to disciple our own families listen I and I promise you I'm almost done I have a girl in I have a girl in my church she's your girl spent years in church years 
She's very social, has zero problems talking to people, is not shy, very intelligent. But spent years in church not really being, never really winning her friends to God. She felt bad about it. She genuinely did. She said, you know, I don't, man, I was raised in church, been a Christian my whole life. I have never won anybody to God. Like I've not really won anybody to God. And, and so she started attending our church. I told her, I said, God is going to use you. God is going to use you to win your friends. You will do this. And listen, I'm just telling you, I believe in trickle-down leadership. I, I'm not going to tell you to go do something I am not doing. That is not the way this works. I believe in trickle-down leadership. I will not tell you to go teach a Bible study if I am personally not doing that. I will not tell you to do anything that I personally do not do. I don't have the right to. And so she said, well, I, I want to learn. Teach me. I said, I'll teach you how to teach Bible study. I taught her how to teach Bible studies. Right now, she is teaching sometimes up to two to three Bible studies a day. But hold on. The first day, her very first Bible study, we have several of our people that work in San Francisco, so they got to commute over to San Francisco. The day of her very first Bible study, the day when she finally went into the enemy's camp, she was crossing the street in San Francisco, and a large, about six-foot-tall homeless man, San Francisco's overrun by homeless people. He ran up on her and started swinging to punch her. And he was massive. All the cars stopped. Some guy got out of his car, had to pull the guy off of him. She told me, she said, Brother Prado, he got in my face and started screaming at me, yelling and cursing me. She said, I could feel his voice deep in my gut. He yelled at me. She said, I walked around. She says, I have no other way to describe it. I could feel the reverberating of his screaming and cursing inside of me. She was totally devastated, totally shook, totally shattered. I, I said, do you need us to go pick you up? She said, no. She said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch the bus. We catch transit home. She said, I'm going to catch BART home, get on the bus, and I'm going to go teach my Bible study. She said, she said, Brother Prado, she said, the minute I started turning the chart, she said, all that evil that I could feel, she said, it just started leaving. It just started leaving. It just started dissipating. It just, I'm telling you right now, when you get out there and you put boots on the ground, you're going to get fought. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just preaching to some people. Uh, let me just preach right now to the people who do have boots on the ground. And all that stuff you're going through, keep going to war. Keep going to war. Don't let the devil discourage you from winning people to God. Don't let the devil stop you from teaching your Bible study. You ought to expect all hell to break out when you get that chart in your hand and you start driving down the road. You ought to expect everything that can go wrong to go wrong because that's where the real battle is. That's where the real war is. That's Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on. Come on, Cornerstone. We didn't get here just sitting on the pew. We didn't get to this point being casual about discipleship. Come on.
listen, I preach. I don't preach out as much as I used to. I have a church now. But all year round, I preach out all over the place. I preach to thousands. And there's a spiritual baggage that comes with that. I fight serious stuff. Don't even care to go through half of it. I'm not sure you'd believe me. I have a man that I teach Bible study to. When I tell you I have never fought more resistance, even going to preach to thousands, as I have to teach this man a Bible study. Because you know what you know you know what happens at conferences. You know what happens at at all these big events. Sometimes life changing stuff. Sometimes great beautiful stuff. But when you are teaching a Bible study, when you are sitting down across the coffee table with somebody who the devil thought he had, it's way different. Like what I'm doing here, I'm talking to you, I'm preaching to you, you're getting with me. Even the visitors to some degree have to get with me because they don't want to be rude. And they, you know, there's the whole group thing and all that. But you know what? When you are standing, sitting in somebody's living room who society had given up on who their family had given up on, who the world had discarded, and you're pulling them out. You see, Satan he'll, he'll, Satan will kick people when they're down. See, humans are different. We'll be like, oh, that life ain't worth much. Let's just keep moving. Devil's like, nah, I already ruined it. Let's, let's burn it twice. go in there and you get in the gutter and you start pulling it out and you start pulling souls from the gutter that's where the fight is because the devil don't want that testimony walking around the devil don't want somebody coming out the tracks talking about did it without a pill. Homeless to owning homes. The devil doesn't want anybody loose in society talking about, I did it with the help of a little black leather book. Devil don't want that. Devil don't want people knowing. There's a God who manifested himself in flesh to destroy the works of Satan. The devil, the devil doesn't want those kinds of testimonies loose. I'm telling you right now, God is calling people here to start discipling people. Do not end your Christian life having never won a soul. I'm telling you, everybody here, the very least, as the Apostle Paul called it, your reasonable service is to win at least one person a year. That is not asking too much of you. That is not asking a lot of you. That is not even, that is just reasonable service. That is what all of us should be willing and happily able to do. All of us here. And if you don't know how to teach a Bible study, find somebody. There's manuals. There's books back there. Find somebody in this church that can teach you one and get out there and teach. Make disciples. That's what disciples do. Transmit, 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 and get in the fight. Get in the battle. You're, God didn't design you to be sidelined. God designed you for war. God designed you for combat. God, desi God, si 
God saved you that you might be a light and a witness, salt in the earth. God saved you that you might save others. God delivered you that you might help deliver others. I'm telling you right now, there are people here who are tangled up in all kinds of foolishness and all kinds of cycles, and you don't know why you can't break the cycle. I'll tell you why. It's because you are not fulfilling your purpose. Amen. I'm not talking about your purpose on your job or your purpose in education. I'm talking about your God-given purpose. Your God-given purpose is to disciple. Your God-given purpose is to make a genuine impact in the world. Your God-given purpose is to really affect somebody. Your God-given purpose is not to own homes and cars. If you have them, God bless you. But your God-given purpose was that you might be able to step into the life of somebody who's been totally ravaged by sin and pull them out of iniquity and get them saved. I sat inside my room one day doing my homework. And I really began to think about my career. And I said to myself, you know what? I will never, never. And I'm not downing careers and I'm not downing education. Believe you me, I'm not doing that. Got plenty of I got PhD people in my church. I'm not I'm not downing that. But I tell them just like I'm telling you. not do anything to genuinely impact the life of another human being with your career, your money, whatever. It will, be, it will be your gospel, your ability to transmit the gospel. Your ability to transmit the gospel. I'm telling you, I have friends that were Lost cases. We just baptized a 73-year-old man. His whole family showed up to the baptism. His whole family was there crying, taking pictures. They hadn't seen their uncle in years. They thought he was dead. His nephew, Kevin, told me, he said, Pastor Grotto, he said, we thought, we, we, we thought Robert was dead. He said, we got family in Louisiana waiting right now to see these pictures. He had a very wealthy sister, extremely affluent. When she saw her brother come out of the water, she lifted her hands. Very affluent, wealthy woman lifted her hands and began to sob. And we don't even have a nice, pretty building like this. We baptize them in the backyard of our church. But you know, wealthy sister with all her money could not save her brother. Affluency could not save her brother. Homes and all this stuff could not save her brother. Amen. But a little, little pastor with a little power and a little Bible study and a little drive and a little determination and a great big God. A great big God. And a great. Let's all stand.
God knows. You know what? I believe I believe wholeheartedly. When you get into the flow, you know what? I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it very real with you, Elder Sergeant. I was not raised in church. Spent a lot of time in the world. I had no Christian core whatsoever. Zero. And when I got saved, when I got saved, clear up until very recently, Brother Knutson, I had to wake up every day and think about what I wasn't going to think about. You know what I'm saying, Elder? Like, I had to go through that. I I don't pray because I'm spiritual. I pray because I'm carnal. I know you want to be seen by pastor. I, I don't want to see hell, so I pray. And every morning, Jordan, I had to wake up and pray and think about what I wasn't going to think about. Because I got a lot of baggage. And the struggle's real. But you know, it's amazing what happens to that baggage when you're at the coffee table flipping a chart. It's, ama- it's amazing what happens to that baggage when you get in the flow. Bro, the other day I was driving in the car and I, I could feel my internal spirit say, you haven't thought about what you're going to think about today. And I thought back to my thought, that's because I haven't thought anything bad. That's what living in the flow does. God says, I'm going to clear you up so you can go to this. You may get beat up from your house to Starbucks, but I'm going to keep your mind in perfect peace. Of course you're struggling. You're not functioning as you're supposed to. If I insist on using a butter knife as a screwdriver, that butter knife is going to struggle. Can it get the screws out? Oh, yeah. But some of us need to quit showing up to the job site with a butter knife instead of a Phillips. You're getting like one screw out a year. When you start functioning and start going in the flow and doing what you are supposed to do and what God designs you to do, I'm telling you, you won't be thinking about what you don't need to think about. God will say, you need a helmet of salvation. You need a breastplate of righteousness. You got people praying the armor of God who don't plan on going to war. Posted up on the couch praying for the armor of God. You ain't doing nothing.
That armor is reserved for fighters. That armor is reserved for strugglers. That armor is reserved for chart-flipping apostolics. I love you. You're obligated to love me. But I want to see some of you get in your flow. I'm sorry. I'm not bragging this out. I know you've been praying for me, and I'm done, and I know you're tired, and I'm going to be home in a second. I tell all my Bible studies. Let's lift our hands and pray. Let's lift our hands and pray. Jesus. 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 I want to be very frank and blunt with you. I tell all my Bible studies, and I teach several a day. I don't care how messed up their life is. I don't care how little there's left. Brother Knutson, I tell them. I told, I told my 73-year-old Bible study the other day. I said, we're almost done with these lessons. And my hope is that you will teach these to somebody else. He says, Pastor, I'm already teaching some of them. <laughs> this is a word for Cornerstone. Some of you are going to spring into action. There are hidden gems spread out throughout this entire state. This church will pick them up. When a church gets mobilized and moving, there are souls out there that are exclusive to proactive churches. Nobody else gets them. Nobody. Only the proactive. 
Only the, only the man and woman with a goal and a plan. Only the discipler gets it. Nobody else. If it's appropriate, I want you to lay your hands on the person next to you. Come on, find somebody to pray with right now. Come on. Come on. Link up with the disciple right now. I want you to pray for that person. I want you to pray right now. God, help us to win one soul before this year's over. Come on. God, one soul. One soul. Come on. Come on, reproduction. Multiplication. Action. Come on, some of you young ladies, you young men, you're going to go back to school. Get you a soul. Get you a soul. Jesus, Jesus, I rebuke every bit of resistance in our minds and our hearts to the idea that we don't have to take action, that we are not engaged in warfare. In the name of Jesus, I come against every resistance to action. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. That's it. That's it. Come on, we're not talking about an outreach program. This is none of that. This is us doing what we're supposed to be doing. This is not an evangelism campaign. This is us just doing what we're supposed to be doing. This is us just behaving as we were made to behave. Jesus, 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 come on, if it's appropriate, pray for somebody else, come on, we're going to pray for one another, there's something good happening here, come on, come on, come on, if you just know right now that you need to pray for yourself, and you need to shake yourself a little bit and ask God to stir you up a little bit. Come on, do that. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If you're standing next to somebody that needs the Holy Ghost, go ahead, bring them on up here. We'll pray for them. 
This is a totally appropriate time for them to get saved. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. 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 Come on, if you want to win a soul, just come on up to the front. I'll pray with you. Hallelujah. Come on, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.